Welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Leaps and Bounds. I'm your host, Tom Bash, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you conversations with some of the most successful CEOs, sales leaders, and home improvement professionals. When I started in this industry 20 years ago, tearing off roofs, I had no idea about what went into making a home improvement business successful. Now, having met with thousands of contractors, helping them adopt technology, and watching them grow, I'm excited to invite them on to share what's made them successful, what they're doing today to stay ahead of their competition, and the advice they have for others. On this episode, I'm joined by Adam Champagne, CEO of HomeFix Customer Modeling. Listen as he shares his journey from Capitol Hill to a dominant industry leader. We'll discuss how he found success, what he does to help the business grow, and where he sees the future taking them. We'll also talk a little solar, a little bit of hiring, and how he's managing the increase in material and labor costs. Well, we've got a great discussion in store for you, so let's get this show started. Hey, Adam, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. How are you? Doing fantastic. Good, good. Hey, I want to get uh, I want to get into a lot of a lot of good stuff here. Uh, but first, I always like to start these out by understanding how you got started in the industry. So I was uh, in law school in 2004. I had uh, my whole life, all I ever wanted to do was run for office since I was a little kid. It's like the first thing I could ever remember wanting to do is my only interest. And uh, after college, I worked on Capitol Hill, had a really awesome time there for four years. And, uh, and I went to law school to kind of just get one step closer to, to running for office. And while I was there, it was my first time uh, not having a job since I got a job at McDonald's when I was 14. And I, I love to work. My, my identity is, is working hard for those that know me. So this is the first period that I didn't have one or two or three jobs and I was going crazy. And, uh, my dad was helping me pay for law school and his condition was that I don't work. So I, I like focused and, and, you know, got good grades. And I told him that I was just, you know, going nuts. And, uh, I asked, I said, you gotta let me get a job. And he said, uh, you can, um, you can work as long as it doesn't interrupt class. Like, I don't want you to change your class schedule and whatever. And uh, I always, you know, listen to whatever my dad says. I've, I've always been that way. I was raised by a single dad and I pretty much ask his advice on everything. To this day, me and my wife ask him permission for anything. So he said, yeah, you can get a job. It's got to be part time. Uh, and uh, so I, I went on monster.com and typed in part-time work. And the first thing that, that populated that auto-populated, it's a part-time work, full-time pay. And it was a home fix ad. So I uh, went in and interviewed with Tope and uh, it was, uh, was pretty much, uh, that was the beginning of the end. So yeah, I went in and uh, I had no idea what sales was or commission was, or, you know, it, anything about you know i never done anything even close to this industry never imagined myself doing anything like this um and uh you know he, he, he sat me down and explained to me what what the what they did for a living there at home fix which was so foreign to me and at the end he's like we start you at a 500 hour week draw and i about jumped over the table with excitement that i there was something i could make 500 hours a week <laughs> and it was only at nighttime. 
So I went home to my dad and I told him what it was. And he said, well, you could do it as long as it's not straight commission. So I lied to him and said, you know, that it was not, which of course it was. And uh, I took the job and then um, I found that it was uh, definitely my calling in life. That's awesome. I, uh, that's funny. You said that, like, I, I also, uh, went to law school at a point. Oh, really? Where? And, uh, uh, Charlotte school of law so down in North okay. Carolina. I was um, at university of Baltimore, which is Harvard on Charles street. But there you go. <laughs> now, did, anyway, you, go did you, did you finish your, your law degree? No. So I was in my first semester when I took this job and then I, you know, so so I was, I really took to sales. I was able to uh, make, you know, I'm one, I'm a really hard worker. So I was, I worked yeah. harder than all of my peers. I ran every lead anywhere, anytime, any place. If it was a nine o'clock lead two hours away, I want it. If it was, you know, for a door and it was, you know, one legged, I want it. And, uh, and I, I was good at making relationships fast. You know, I still, <clears throat> to this day, have, like remember and and have contact with some of my customers from back then. Um, and I sold, you know, I, I did really well. I made more my first month in home improvements than I made the entire year before working on Capitol Hill. So yeah, uh, I, I I did stay in law school for the whole uh, that whole year, but then. Um, my uh the, the founder of the company tope who hired me convinced me to move to new jersey and uh take over the operations up there and that's when i i deferred law school and then decided to never go back yeah i i only made it through my first year as well i was right. I call it one l <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but it was in, in between that summer of my first year and my second year uh where i had gotten back into like i started as a laborer and tearing off roofs and installing and doing all that and then I, I went in the Marine Corps, did that when I actually got out because I had applied to law school and got accepted. And I said, uh, all right, because I'd also applied to officer candidate school and I was going to do that as well. Um, but I said, OK, I want to go to law school. I went to it. I didn't like it. It was to me, it was, too, I don't know, too much uh, gray. And it's funny, mm -hmm. after law school, I, I, I got back into roofing, got into sales and kind of similar story. Um, but then I also got an accounting degree at night. Uh, because I just wanted that black and white, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, they were just so polar opposite and uh, and different. But that's uh, that's an interesting story. So you get into to home fix. You're you're doing well at sales. How did you realize that? Like, hey, this is this is it. This is where I want to be. I'm going to continue to grow, and mature in this. Or or did it just happen? Like, how, what was that like? Yeah, I would definitely say it more. It just happened. Um, yeah. You know, I. Uh, you know, the, the, the income, obviously, you know, that, that you could make in this business was um, really cool. It was something I wasn't used to. My, my you know, I have the best wife on the planet that I've been with since before, you know, I ever would, since back when I worked on Capitol Hill, so we've been together almost 20 years, maybe, maybe we're at 20 years now. And uh, she made more money than I did back then and, and uh, took care of me. And so it was nice to, to flip that the other way around and be able to, you know, buy her nice things and, and take her places. And um, so that was definitely part of it. And then, you know, I 
the same way I just kind of fell into sales, uh, I fell into management. I had no experience managing. And what was happening was in New Jersey, we were home fix was not able to um, really get off the ground. They've been open for a few years and they've been through a cycle of managers. And every time it was, you know, the, the prices are too high or the labor's too scarce or too bad or the people are too mean or, or the it's too competitive, too many too saturated, whatever the reason was, you can't, we can't do it in Jersey. And so Tope came to me and said, look, I want you to go live in a hotel for 30 days. And at that point I, I was, I closed my entire career there over 70%, which obviously is high in this industry. And I'm really not the greatest rep on the planet. Like I said, I just work really hard and, and able to make relationships and, and I'm not afraid to ask for the business. Um, so he said, so if you go to Jersey and you close anything, even 50%, I'm going to shut it down. But if not, then I know it's the people, it's the managers and it's not the market. So I went up there and I learned the lesson that all of us have learned a hundred times in this business is it's always the people, um, you know, I sold now the people are horrible and Jersey is the worst place on earth. Um, but, uh, I figured it out, was able to sell, um, for, for the time I was there. So after that month, he said, look, we want you to, you know, why don't you take over the Jersey office? I said, you're, you know, no, I'm going to be, I'm running for office. I'm going to be the next, you know, governor of Maryland. I'm not, I'm not, um, I, this is not my future. And he made an, an offer that was, um, pretty substantial and, and, and generous. And I went of course back to my dad and, and ran it by him and, uh, surprisingly enough he uh he he actually encouraged me to do it and so i put my dog in the car went and got a one-room apartment with a mattress on the floor and a um you know a tv sitting on the floor and uh ran home fix new jersey and um i just kind of did the same thing i did with sales where i made relationships so i immediately you know learned what it what you know we got to know the sales reps as people and went out ran leads with them sold them gave them the deals and then next you know i i made a relationship with the with the marketing manager and made sure he knew that i was working for him and i went out with the canvassers and generated leads and and led from the front i would sit with the call center and i just i just always thought of everyone there first and then uh made sure that they were successful and they would take care of me and um the, the Jersey office went from the worst of seven to the number one office by the second month I was there. And then we were just the top office the whole time I was there. So I think that's where I kind of got addicted was, you know, the, all these people that, you know, now look up to me as my first time in leadership and they're just following me and, and believing in me. And, um, it can be, you know, really exciting. So I think, uh, for the next, you know, probably, three, four, five years, I was just on autopilot. I just loved, you know, just getting better and better and, and uh, being able to build and grow and, and just uh, surround myself with all these awesome people. And uh, probably just got to the point where it was, <laughs> I, I wasn't qualified for anything else anymore. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go. I was sucked in. Yeah. <laughs> this industry tends to do that to you. You're yeah. like drawn yeah. in and you're just here for life. Yep. Uh, I, I got to ask you, like, why do you think more people don't know about these opportunities? Like, like you didn't know about it until you, you know, you searched oh, for this type of thing. I didn't know. Any, 
and nobody yeah. I know knows anything. Like when I meet, nobody knows what I do, right? They think yeah. uh, whatever they think, it's always wrong. You know, they they, they just we are a kind of a hidden thing. So why? Um, you know, one thing I joke is, uh, you know, window salesman is like one step below cell phone salesman in the mall. So it's definitely not something to be proud of and brag about at parties. So, you know, um, there's a lot of other sales type jobs such as, you know, real estate agent or, or mortgage broker that are, you know, the barrier to entry is low. Okay. So people with, with, natural talents, uh, great people skills, uh, the things that lend to success in this business, they can get in those and kind of be more proud to say, all right, I got a job that I can put a, a suit and tie on and, and make a really good living without a college education or, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd also say it's the hardest sales job to really, really be successful at. I mean, the, the mental abuse alone, you have to take so much rejection and you have to drive endless miles and have a, you know, a, a unfixed schedule and um, just go through a lot to be successful. So even if you are, if you have the natural skills, just to, the wherewithal to survive in it, um, I think is probably a detractor. And, uh, and then on the other side of it, there's people that have amazing talents that can do almost anything, but to, to be able to go into someone's home and talk them into buying something they don't want, right? So everybody wants a car, everybody wants a mortgage to buy a home, everyone wants a, uh, you know, a new, even a new basement or, uh, you know, furniture, all those things you want. Nobody wants a roof and nobody wants windows. So to sell something you need is definitely harder. Yeah, absolutely. How are you? How I'm always curious on this, like, how were you mentally able to overcome the objections, especially early on? Did you feel like I made a mistake? Like, what am I doing? Like, how'd you overcome those? Yeah, so I think um, I am uniquely wired for this. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, my first month, um, my first month I ran 30 leads and I sold 29 and I didn't know anything. Um, and I just was so, I just believed in what I was doing so much. I, 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 I really made home fix live up to all the things, the crazy stuff I promised in the home too. I mean, I practically, you know, I really sold what we did in our warranty and our quality, but I would just, you know, force us to live up to it and just, you know, for me to be able to put my head on the pillow at night, I would make sure that we gave our customers an exceptional experience and would just do anything to make them happy that you know, we could guarantee satisfaction because I just would not stop until they were happy. So because I knew that was on the other end of it, I really was not afraid to really keep asking for it. So I developed those relationships in the home. I, I the people would believe in me and trust me and, and I developed relationships with them and really invest in them. And then it was, it would just be silly for them to get a roof from anybody else. It just wasn't an option. Um, now, as time went on, being straight commission still with all of us, it's still, it's really daunting. And once you start making money, you don't want to lose it. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you miss one lead. You think it's all over. Um, so I would just say I, uh, I've always prided myself that I thrive in failure. It doesn't scare me at all. My, biggest hero he's up on the 
wall up there. Uh, you know, uh, you can't see it, but uh, is Winston Churchill. And uh, I've always been a huge, he's always been my hero and role model. And that guy failed more than anybody. And yet, you know, he saved the free world from, uh, from the Nazis. So um, I, I've always lived by that. Like I'm just, failure just motivates me more and more and more. So I think that wiring in my brain that I'm just, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm not afraid of uh, feedback. I thrive on, on, you know, criticism and how I can be better that I was uniquely wired for it. I also had a really, really difficult childhood. I, I, so I've been beaten down for 18 years. So nothing that, that this business could do me compared to how crappy it was uh, growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand that being in the Marine Corps, I had two tours in Iraq and I, when I got out, people were like, uh, I'd go to a job interview and they're like, well, what do you do if a customer is upset with you? Right. I'm like, look, I just came back from having bombs fired at me being shot at. Like a customer upset is not going to, uh, you know, throw a wrench in my day. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was just, that's awesome. And thank you very much for your service. Um, oh, yeah. I, uh, um, I was just on the phone with my buddy, Aaron Magden, who, you know, um, yep. and he's doing a, um, Jacko leadership, uh, conference thing that, cool. uh, definitely mirrors what you just said, uh, is, you know, the, the lessons learned there, it, you can survive anything. That's one of the, uh, extreme ownership is one of the books I, I have in my book oh, yeah? here. Yeah. That's uh, super good. Like, I mean, I recommend everybody read that. It's, a really He's, good book and, and we got to see him down there in uh qr top yep. 500 live it's as well freaking yeah. great man i love him and i loved uh that just a short video the one the good video um, yes that that one i actually watched that yesterday i definitely need that reminder sometimes yep yeah that's that's great um well also I, i'd love to also talk about um well i guess first of all have you, you you've obviously watched the movie the darkest hour uh, absolutely. Every, yeah. Uh, I've seen everything on Winston Churchill you can imagine. Yeah. I, I just got to see that, uh, maybe last week. And, uh, you know, with all the things in the news, I was like, Oh man, is, is history repeating itself or what? But darkest hour yeah. was a, was a great movie. Winston <laughs> Churchill, uh, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of lessons to be, to be had there. He is, uh, uh he is absolutely the probably uh, the, our modern times greatest hero. Um, so we, we would not be where we were without him. And yeah, tons of lessons And that movie says it right. Cause he just, the whole world was against him. And, yeah. uh, he's the only one that was willing to stand up to Hitler and thank God he did because we wouldn't be here if he didn't. Yeah. It'd be a whole different place. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to continue the story and just sort of, uh, you know, expand upon, uh, your roots and, and going to the New Jersey office and what, what happened next? You're not in New Jersey anymore. So like how, what yeah. Happened? So, so I, uh, you know, being young and having, uh, uh, the, you know, it, things are just so different. The perspective, like I mentioned, my wife is I have the best wife. I tell everybody I have the best wife on the planet. Uh, and it's really the reason I'm successful. And, you know, back then when I was, 24 years old, I actually couldn't wait to get away from her. Right. So I just wanted to go up to Jersey and eat pizza and hang with my dog and be on my own. But then, you know, I started missing her. I couldn't wait to get back. So I just wanted to get home. So I took over the, um, I, I, uh, I was able to take over the Virginia office, Northern Virginia, Fairfax, 
Yep. And and back then, Home Fix was like a they had about seven offices, and each one did between a million and two million. So they were say about an eight million dollar company. And um, I went to Fairfax, and that's where I kind of figured out. Um, really figured out canvassing that was it wasn't about generating leads it was about generating people and i focused all my efforts on hiring canvassers getting them in i ran ads everywhere you can imagine before that we only really did field recruiting but this is where we started um we would put an ad anywhere in craigslist because it was just kind of the, the rise of craigslist anywhere you could put an ad i'd put something <laughs> right Crisis, it would yeah. be nursing or, you know, uh, if, if there was a section, I would run an ad and it would just say something very generic and I'd get people in. And then, you know, I, we'd pay a lot of money for canvassing. It was a commission, a lot of opportunity. And I would I would hire anybody. And this was um, also right around when the, the bubble housing bubble burst. So that we shot up to, you know, 16, 17 percent unemployment. So the availability of people to work was high yeah and all of a sudden i looked up and we went you know from it was a million dollar office when i came to fairfax and and very quickly grew it to 10 12 million just in that office alone um and then uh my my now partner you know then the founder of home fix tope um came up with the very you know idea very ahead of his time ahead of you know where we're at now to start a solar company and started Solar Energy World back in 2010, which created the opportunity uh, for me to to present him a plan. I think we, we still debate who, who came up with the original plan, but you know, I uh, I wanted to you know look let me let me run Home Fix where you focus on growing solar, and and I want to grow it to be you know one of the largest home improvement companies in the country. Now at that point, we were a really thriving successful profitable home improvement company so uh he uh, i'm not sure uh if he if he's doesn't still sometimes uh regret giving me the the reins at that point uh because you know i wasn't really worried about being profitable i just wanted to be the biggest and baddest home improvement company <laughs> in the country and uh so we started um so anyway uh, you know he, he named me ceo of the company he really you know he focused his efforts on solar energy world and i started focusing on just repeating what i what we were doing on, on a large scale um and our really our growth plan kind of really started taking off around 2013 and between 13 and all the way up until COVID, really the growth was uh you know it was we were we were successfully grew you know by double digit amounts year after year yeah, it's a uh, a fascinating story. And so, what where's where's Home Fix at today? I mean, w first of all, I mean, what do you guys specialize in? Obviously, roofing and, and, and windows and those kind of things. But what what all do you do? And what's the the shape and structure of of Home Fix today? Yeah. So today uh, we have um, we're in uh, Maryland, uh, Northern Virginia, Richmond, Norfolk, which is Southern Virginia, Raleigh and Charlotte, and Tampa. Um, we are still very much a canvassing company. We're, you know, one of the few still holding strong to it. It's not easy right now. Hiring people is is the most difficult it's ever been, especially for jobs like canvassing or, you know, install, which everyone knows. Call centers really tough. Um, 
but we are we are still holding strong to to being a, a mainly canvas company because it's what we know. Uh, we are, you know, focused on windows, roofing, and siding. Um, we we had been a pretty even split between windows and roofing. Windows kind of really took off in the last couple of years, where roofing did not. I think um, the storms that happened in in eighteen, uh, the windstorm in the mid Atlantic, and then just the, a lot of hailstorms probably lowered demand, softened demand a little bit, but uh, it's back on the rise big time. We're really focused on it. You know, the, the pricing that's in the industry is not helping, uh, you know, when you're offering, uh, you know, the warranty that we offer, the experience we offer and you, you charge for it, uh, it that difference starts expanding um, as these material costs have shot up. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, are still, that still is our core business. We have a, uh, a bath solution that we've we've launched um, in the last year um, been a little bit slowed by both materials and labor you know since we started during covid but we are really optimistic to kind of grow that side of the business we, we really like for the first time being able to sell something people want and then solar energy world under you know topes leadership has shown incredible growth um, and they're they're on a, a you know, a rocket ship right now. They're um, they were about the same size as HomeFix. They're both fifty million dollar companies, and now it looks like you know they're they're clocking eight to ten million dollars a month. So it looks like they're going to do about 80, 90 million this year. So wow. uh, HomeFix to kind of catch on that wave has um, introduced the new solar shingle, the the Timberline um, HDE, I think they're calling it. Um, but uh, so the new, uh, uh, you know, solar powered shingle, and we're we're super excited about getting that to market, and um, we think it's going to make a, a a big impact and really be a big disruptor in the future when they can make enough of them for it to be one. Yeah, have, have you have you been able to uh, to to see one in person yet? Um, I have not seen one in person. I've seen uh, videos of them, of the install, pictures of them. Uh, I, I love the guys over at GAF Energy. I'm really, they're really cool. I've, I've really kind of made friends with Jason who runs it. Um, but I keep begging them for a for an actual shingle and I can't get one. <laughs> Those things in I, such demand, I can't even get one shingle. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to see it down at IRE. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It was, I, it was pretty cool. So yeah, I walked over to IRE when I was down there, when you were there and I walked down there just to see it. And I got there, it was like, I, I had my, my talk at like eight 30 in the morning. So I got up early and walked over there at seven and they weren't open. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and then I tried walking over there again, I think after, and they, they still hadn't opened yet. So yeah, I didn't get to see it, but <laughs> I'm hoping to see our first install in April. That's awesome. Yeah. That'll yeah. be, that'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to to see that progression because I think it, it has the potential to bring solar to the masses, I think in a aesthetically pleasing way and, and just a whole, yeah. you know, an easy to install way. So yeah, I'm excited to see that. The install is huge. The um, it's applicable for way more homes, you know, than a traditional solar. So I don't think our, they're both going to have their, for now, they, you know, solar energy world's not going anywhere because the retrofit market is still going to be big. Anybody that got a roof in the last 10 years, this isn't applicable. And, Still, with the technology, with the economics, if it's purely, you know, 
um, savings you're going to win with panels. But, you know, a lot of people care about what it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. the ease of application is uncomparable. The warranty is definitely uncomparable. Um, it, you know, it looks like this thing has some serious longevity to it. And as they advance it and, and as they make it more available, I think it could be a huge disruptor, really even to the roofing industry. Because yeah. if I'm going to get a roof and I'm going to spend 40 grand on my roof and, you know, I could spend 20, 30% more, get a tax credit and it powers my home um, and starts making me money. Uh, it's, you know, it's going to be very attractive. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I wanted to touch on two things you, you talked about. One was hiring and the other, um, the other was about like increasing costs, both the labor and material. Mm-hmm. So how are how are you tackling hiring and training and retention? That's something I hear a lot about. Yeah. So it's something we focus on constantly. Um, you know, I've said for years, if you ask what HomeFix is, it's a recruiting company because I am just a, my livelihood, my success is a mathematical, you know, an algebraic equation of how many people I input, what comes out the other side. And that goes to installers, sales reps, call center. Um, So I think we definitely have a competitive advantage in hiring. I think we're really, really good at it. I think we're good at retention. Um, I think we figured out you know, on the install side, what installers want, what makes them happy, what retains them, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, something that we've become really good at um, on the, the sales and canvassing side. You know, we uh, it's the it's the stuff that that we all uh, know and it's hard to practice is people are, are taking a job for more than a paycheck especially now when it's knocking on doors, especially now when there's all these crazy alternatives to working, uh, you know, where a lot of people are getting paid to not work, um, which I'm not a big fan of. But uh, so it's hard to inspire people to come in and want to, you know, be something and want to, you know, work for their paycheck, you know. And we have a we have a really incredible recruiting department uh, which led by Susan, who's my head of recruiting and her team. And if I think, uh, and they're all, you know, really, really talented, if I would just say, besides just, you know, the typical, you know, the thing, the ways that they, they bring people in, if I were to say the one thing that makes them really special is the, the, the level at which they are experts of what we do. So her recruiters know our jobs, know our company, probably maybe better than anybody that works here, including me. Like they can interview for any job we have. They can recruit for any job they have. They can screen people. They can land people. You know, they're fully turnkey. You name a position in my company, there's a lot of them. And they can fill that position without anyone. I mean, they, they can find, they can recruit them, retain them, bring them in, land them, and even be part of their retention because they're really invested in the, in the um, culture of the company and, you know, making it a place people want to stay. They, yeah. The, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying they're just, they're really invested in, uh, in, in seeing, you know, the fruits of their labor. They want to bring good people here and then they want to make sure that, that we don't lose them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, like I said, it's a problem I hear a lot about and uh, not just in this industry, but every industry. <laughs> It's incredible. I think the one thing that I've learned is not like you're better off just not acknowledging it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
it's it's you know it's all just a problem it's just a problem we got to solve so you know one of them you know in 2008 when the when the market crashed i was like oh my god it's all over and and then i figured you know what if even if demand falls to nothing and it's 10% then i just need to get you know x number more leads and i'll still be yeah. able to be successful so right now i just know that I'm going to use the advantages that it's a it's going to lower the barrier. It's going to increase the barrier to entry to get in this business and be successful. It's going to get people out of it. So, you know, I'll have less competition, less people knocking on doors or, or less people selling, et cetera. So um, I just the only way that I know how to 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 beat this is to one power through it and work with just as much vigor and and uh excitement and energy and enthusiasm as if it wasn't going on and two you know look at every little problem analyze it and just to every problem there's an answer no matter what yeah. so if hiring's a problem there's always a solution um so we're we're definitely looking at that one on a daily basis i don't think there's anything we talk about more at the office than how do we bring more good people in yeah um, i totally understand that yeah. how, and how, people hire people you know during yeah. last year we lost like half our sales force due mm -hmm. to uh whatever all the other things that are that are going on out there we have a you know we have a straight commission 1090 all you know 3508 1099 um contractors as our sales reps and we lost all of them basically wow. <laughs> our good huge portion of it we had huge turnover and yeah uh, I started and focused on recruiting and bringing in the right leaders first and we put them and then all of a sudden, voila, we have as big a sales force we ever had. So yeah. uh, we're back uh, fully stocked and growing fast. It's awesome. Uh, on the flip side of that, how are you handling the increase in costs you know, for, for both material and obviously labor? Um, you know, it's you got to. It's a mindset too because it really sucks. You know, um, you know the, the the big players that are out there that offer the, that have the infrastructure, offer the level of experience, customer experience, employee space. We do have to put a margin on it that's probably bigger than the little guy out there. And um, because of that, these price increases infect, affect us um, disproportionately. I think I handled it the wrong way last year. I absorbed a ton of those price increases out of fear of disenfranchising my, you know, managers or reps. Yeah. Didn't work out well for me. Um, so what am I doing now? I'm I'm increasing my pricing and and it is what it is. And I'm I'm teaching my guys to to how to tell our story better and how to, you know, uh, sell our products better. Um, and get, you know, be able to, to get paid the same margin that we were paid before. Um, I, there's really leveraging other products is not really an option right now. There's, there's just um, all the prices are going up and it's just a shell game. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's another one of those challenges that everybody's facing and, and working to, to tackle. Um, with the time we have left here, I want to talk a little bit more about um, some of the initiatives and things you're working on now. You know what you're most excited about, um, and you know where you see uh, not only Home Fix but yourself and the industry kind of going in the next three to five years. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll give you a few quickly. 
Um, so in 2016, um, the a company that we had used and a ton of people in this area had used for many, many years was Mid-South Building Supply. They got purchased by SRS. Then uh, they only really wanted the roofing you know, portion of it because that's really what SRS's is, specialty is. So they had a turnkey M&I window um, division, which was you know, measure and install and distribute and supply windows. They weren't super interested in. So the, the, the former owners and some of the remaining owners opened a, a new company called Exteriors, et cetera, uh, in Beltsville. And it was just the writing was on the wall that, you know, the, the people, the, the owners were getting older and at the end of their careers. And um, the it, it just it seemed like that business wasn't going to be around too much longer. And uh, which all the you know, if you look at the qualified model or the top, you know, 40 that are on there, all probably started in College Park and, and used Mid-South as their supply. So they were definitely a legend in the industry. So anyway, I. Um, approached uh, uh, with along with uh, my partner Tope, um, the owner of, of Exteriors, formerly Mid-South, and, and asked to purchase in an asset purchase what was there and, and preserve jobs for everyone who was left there. And our goal really was to uh, was twofold um, to to be able to offer a better uh, experience for our customers and to own you know, we had 20, 30 years of warranty and we paid them to honor our warranties. And it was just, was a big number. So I said, we got to be able to do this better. And uh, the other um, was to, to, to kind of get into the commercial side of the business. I was really interested in, in B2B uh, in selling, you know, these bigger jobs. And they had, um, they had a, you know, a pretty substantial customer base. So we did that. Uh, it had 16 and no 20 employees when we bought it, uh, you know, some trucks and some other things. Uh, we, we did, we kept, I think 16 or 17 of the 20. And today that company, we re renamed it installation services today. That company has over hundred employees and, uh, is, has a massive property management division, commercial construction division doing, you know, big million, $2 million projects. Um, uh, it, it formed it, uh, it's a government contracting division that turned into a, a residential remodeling during COVID because the base is shut down. Right. Um, so, so that is and a, a small portion of it was turnkey install for some of our, you know, our competitors and peers in the industry. Um, so that portion of it, where I was going with it, did, did two things for me. One, it really showed me how much I love selling to my Peers is the same customer base you sell to. And I've talked to you about that before. I absolutely love it. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing that's cool is most of the people in this industry at this point, we treat each other, you know, really well. And it's like almost like a fraternity, you know, everyone I meet in this industry uh, is great. And I learn from them and, and I enjoy being part of it. I have a litany of contractors that are out there that um, I started you know, working with an installation services when they were a million dollars and now they're 10 or $15 million. And I got to mentor them or be part of it. And I get a ton of fulfillment out of that. I even have probably a dozen or so that worked for me and have gone and started their own. And, you know, I'm one of those people where I support you if you're an entrepreneur and you want to go out and make something yourself, I'll just help you with it. And Hey, if I can, 
<laughs> be part of it even better. Um, so that got me into two things, which now, which is, you know, my real, uh, I think is excite, um, run really great for me, but also for the industry. So, uh, because I had this, you know, I was able to open a business that sold to my peers and make it different, right? It could be how I just like, I guess back when I went from sales to management, I wanted to manage how I wanted to be managed as a sales rep, right? I want, mm -hmm. that's what I was looking for. So I want to be that leader that, that was the leader I was wanting. Um, in installation services, I want to be the, the, the labor, the install side that, um, you know, that I, that I wouldn't typically get, right? You get a lot of experiences of suppliers or, or installed treating, you know, just not treating the contractors well, not understanding what it takes to get that contract. And then once you do, how you have to own it with sacred, um, you know, treat it like it's your own and, and, and be in that partnership to make the contractor better. And that was really cool. I got to do things that you know, it just no one else did. So I trained. So long story short, I opened a finance company along with my partner, Tope, and uh, two other partners, uh, Tony and Ed, that are, you know, it was really cool to get the team up with these guys. And and the goal was to do the same, open a finance company that was a little bit different, that all the things that we wish the finance companies did, you know, um, just be in more partnership with the contractors to really be on, on their side to help their business grow and thrive and, and, and is be contractor focused, right? If our, yeah. our true guiding light is to make the contractor better then we'll be successful. Um, so I got to do that and it's been an amazing opportunity, amazing experience. And we've had just really great success, which I'm so happy with um, and really, kind of humbled to get to be part of these great contractors and and that they invite me into their business and let them be part of it. And then um, the other side too is uh, it opened my eyes to the ability to sell virtually um, through technology like Leap and others yeah. uh, and uh, through financing, um, you know, the ability to get, you know, the, how advanced we are in, in a click of a button, we can have people approved and the pre-approval process that we do now, and, um, as well as um, just, uh, you know, the COVID, but when putting all those together and, and I had the, you know, the infrastructure of it because I had installation services all up and down the East Coast, um, I was able to build a pretty cool, robust um, virtual sales. So when I say, do I think, uh, you know, you say where we're going, you know, I hope and think, I, I try not to ever give definites that we're always going to be able to sell in the home. And uh, I still think um, now that the in the home has a leg up, but I think there's a, a huge opportunity for all the contractors out there to be selling virtually um, at least to be part of their business, you know, not necessarily all of it. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something that I think is going to expand greatly um, as, you know, as we get, as technology gets better, you know, there's, you know, hover is, you know, a, one technology for measuring remotely, but there's others coming and there's others that I've gotten to play around with for the interior that are, are really interesting. And we're starting to demo, um, which all lead to that, you know, kind of hands-off experience people, you know, 
it, it, people like to communicate in different ways now. I, I think uh, I think we'll be selling by text message at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. I think these next three to five years, seeing where the where, how the industry evolves and 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 what it looks like, because I think it will look a little bit different than it does today or even you know a couple years ago. Uh, we are we are a little bit over on time, but I, I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, for the folks that are listening here, you've experienced a lot from, you know, not knowing anything about the industry to being heavily involved now in different aspects of it. You know, what advice do you have uh, uh, for others that, that may be listening to this that are uh, still working through the early days of their career uh, and maybe even a sales rep, you know, not sure that if this is for them or a business owner, it's like, you know, struggling through it. I mean, what advice do you have having been through sort of this process? Now? Yeah. So it's pretty, you know, it's easy. It's always easier to give advice than take it and live it. So yeah. I guess my simplest one that I start with is prioritization. It's so hard to stay focused on the priorities. Um, even as a sales rep, you get distracted, start pointing your fingers at other things and looking at like your turndown rate or that your leads, you know, just focus on being you know, 100% the best at your job and do, you know, everything you can to the best of your ability and, you know, with maximum effort. Um, so I just, I've always won by outworking people. I wasn't, you know, born with a lot of the natural skills that others have. Um, I just work really hard and keep a good attitude. So, um, so one is just stay, you know, prioritize and, and stay focused. Uh, that translates even more when you're talking to business owners, leaders, it's really easy to get distracted, to start looking at, you know, uh, to start thinking, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't, you know, it gets old doing the same thing every day and, and grinding. It's got to get easier, right? There's got to be a way that, that, that this could be a lifestyle job. We are not being a window signing roofing contractor is not a lifestyle business. Um, this right. is something where it needs to be nurtured and, managed at every given second. And the second you start, you know, wanting to work hard and, 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 and really uh, own every aspect of it, someone else is going to do it. And, and there's a reason uh, that you could be so successful here is because it's so hard. So, um, you know, I think that also goes with don't get too, I've seen people get too kind of, um, high on themselves and, and, and like drinking their own Kool-Aid, um, you know, and, and those, those people are not as successful. There can be, you know, if it's a great industry where you could be very successful, but then all of a sudden you can start to think that you are the reason that, you know, that you're so great instead of realizing what got you there was you were able to lead from the front and recruit great people and motivate them to want to work with you and make money and, and, and be successful together. But when it comes too much about you, then they're going to want to go do it for themselves. So, you know, they're not going to feel that um, that that uh, c commonality or that motivation to be part of something special with you together. Yeah. So, of uh, the the great leaders I know and friends in this business, like my buddy John that owns Long Fence, and uh, you know, I mean, there's so many of them. But uh, Nick that up at New Pro and, and Ed down at Paramount and uh, um, uh, um, oh man, there was uh, who was I just talking to that was just a total embodiment of it. Um, 
but anyway, they just they these guys love their people, and they're just not they, they don't they don't forget where they came from and who got them there, and uh, and and it's just not it, it, there's a reason they are so successful, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that is uh, staying humble. It's not just a, a catchphrase or something. It, it you got it. You got to live by it, and you got to remind yourself of it every day. Yeah. Excuse me. Absolutely, uh, Adam. Well, we are out of time, but I want to tell you thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best uh, going forward and in, in all the different endeavors you have going on. So I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Tom. I've uh, I've enjoyed our partnership and. Uh, uh, enjoyed uh, you and your team a lot as well, man. You guys are, you guys are awesome, and I wish you guys the best. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode of Leaps and Bounds. If you did, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review, and subscribe to the podcast. We look forward to bringing you more exclusive conversations with some of the most successful home improvement leaders. If you're interested in learning more about Leap, be sure to check us out at leaptodigital.com or follow us on our social channels. Until next time, see ya.